0: We solemnly swear we're up to no good. Hi, I'm Gary Roby. I'm Victoria Laguna. And we're the hosts of Harry Potter Minute, the fan podcast where we overanalyze the Harry Potter movies
1: one magical minute at a time. Join us as we argue about whether or not McGonagall would meow at Dumbledore. She wouldn't. As we ponder just how much Harry's fortune is worth. Just $40. As we
0: guess how much mileage one gets out of an Ollivander wand. A hundred thousand jinxes. As we detail the ins and outs of Hogwarts Castle. He's only a model. Join us Monday through Friday, only from DuelingGenre.com. Mischief Mischief managed.
2: Managed. Dueling Genre.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character and a great story. I'm Todd Mack. And I'm Joe Dorowski. And this week we're discussing animation filmmaking, particularly the future of 2D animation and 3D animation. That's where we're headed with this discussion.
1: Yeah, uh, typically we focus in on a great character, a great story, but every now and then we do a game episode or we've also periodically done episodes about a certain kind of storytelling so uh we did an episode on fan fiction and we recently dropped an episode on storytelling in video games and this can be another one of those kinds of special episodes
0: yeah this is a request from listener peter who is currently in the middle of the pacific ocean and has no access to any <laughs> Modern technology, and will not for quite some time. But when he gets back, when you get back, Peter, you will listen to this, and uh, and you'll know that we were thinking about you. Um, he's on some tiny island, way out, way out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> but he loves uh, he loves animation, and he asked us to talk about this, so here we are.
1: And particularly that um, you know the the traditional hand-drawn or 2d animation versus computer animation which at this point you can't look at a month of the of the calendar without a new computer animated film coming out it seems and for american audiences at least uh and it's been quite a while since we've had a mainstream traditional animation film in in america coming from hollywood Uh Uh, right before we started recording, we asked Andrew, like, when was the last Disney animated one? And he just immediately, he's like, uh, Princess and the Frog, 2010. I think I double checked it was 2009. He was uh, bar- barely off. But yeah, it's been about a decade since Disney, which is built its empire on traditional animation, has released a traditionally animated film. So it's something that we've kind of transitioned away from for contemporary audiences. But at the same time, there's such a long history um, of that as a storytelling form uh, that I. I don't think we should abandon it entirely and as peter noted when he when he sent in this request um like we we still see this as a very strong form of storytelling coming from japan with studio ghibli and some other studios there
0: yes so do you want to run through just uh the history of animation so that we can know where we're where we're coming from here
2: Yeah,
1: so uh, early filmmaking is very late 1800s, early 1900s, you start to see around a lot more and the first example of what we'd call today as like hand-drawn animation is generally considered to be a 1908 French film that is called Phantasmagorie in which you see a stick figure that encounters various objects, like it's walking around and it it interacts with these other objects and those objects often transform (laughs) as he's interacting with them and uh, if you've ever seen this you can find it very easily on on youtube uh or lots of places on the internet it looks like um white chalk on a blackboard because uh he drew white paper with with black ink but then uh he he uh took pictures of the negatives and then tried to animate those and just in that process it ended up like everything was reversed (laughs) you know uh but that is considered the first traditionally animated film uh and one that i remember in film classes seeing a couple times is, have you ever heard of Gertie, the dinosaur Todd? No. Okay.
2: So I know about dinosaur. Gertie, the dinosaur. What was that Andrew? I know about Gertie, the oh, dinosaur, okay. but I do, I do a podcast on the side about Disney animated films. So yeah. animation <laughs> history is I will, I'll jump in periodically. Yeah. In, in this this, this episode. is an episode for you, Andrew, uh, as well. So,
1: uh, Windsor McKay, who is, famous for the uh very influential little nemo in storyland newspaper comic strip he saw film and was thinking about what this could be used for and he did this animation called gertie the dinosaur and he would do it for initially it was always for like live performances with him there and he would often like draw gertie on a screen but it was actually um a film animation of him slow. Like he had animated himself drawing it and he was tracing it on the screen, but he wasn't really drawing. And so you see (laughs) Gertie the dinosaur appear there, but then he would start talking and giving Gertie, um, commands and he had patter down and the timing down because he had drawn the thousands of pictures of Gertie for the animation. Like he hand drew everything himself and it's not just Gertie the dinosaur like he drew in rocks like there's a background and all these and he, he drew himself by himself these it, it was well over a thousand uh, images that he had to do uh, but he would like talk to Gertie and like say, all right, you know, uh, stand up and it would stand on time legs. And then at the end of the bit, he would walk around behind the screen, but right as he stepped behind it, an animated version of him appeared on the screen and climbed up on
2: Gertie's back and rode away. And that's how he wow. left. Wow. Yeah, the, left the way it the way it was often presented was almost like um like a magician. Like it was a magic that's show. Amazing. Trick. And this was in 1914. Uh, so the first animated film was 1908.
1: So this is less than a decade on. I'm guessing most people were not very exposed to animation at all. And this is yeah, uh, like, he had a different mind for entertainment and how to use technology in entertainment that this is one of the, you know, one of the first most famous bits of animation that's happened. And you can um, eventually a studio, made essentially like a silent film version of this. So you see like cue cards of him of what he, it was would be that he's saying, but you see him physically in front of it. So they filmed him doing his act and put in the, the silent film um, cards. So you can find footage of that um, again on YouTube uh, very easily. Um, And so that's one of the famous early bits of animation. And that was, uh, both of those examples are just one person doing it. In the 19-teens, you know, the uh, 1910s up to the 1920s, you see what becomes known as the Assembly Line Animation Studios. So places like Bray, Bray, and Fleischer Studios in America. Um, and they introduce... A lot of elements that become standardized. Um, besides just like lots of animators working on the pictures, they get the the static backgrounds and like the cells that are being put over the the, the backgrounds, so you don't have to hand draw the background every time, which is what Winsor McCain did for the Gertie the dinosaur bits. Um, so when you look at that, if you go find it, just realize he was drawing every rock a thousand times <laughs> for <laughs> that's All there right. in the background. <laughs> Um also in uh in this period of 1917 is what is considered the first full uh, feature length animation. Yes Snow White and the, the Seven Dwarfs will come from Hollywood in 1937 uh but this is in Argentina in 1917 there's um kind of a feature length film and there's a, a handful of other ones uh that get lumped in as feature length animation films that predate um Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs though that's for the American studio system, the most important um, move that happens with animation.
2: Um, And, and like the, I mean, what essentially is the modern theater system. Yes. Yeah. For, you know, theater release and everything. Yeah.
1: In the 1920s uh, in America, you see cartoon shorts that are, um attached to the front of movies and this becomes a very famous staple and in the 1920s and 30s uh or in the 1930 uh early 30s you get color animation and with those cartoon shorts and with color animation there's a lot of pop culture icons that are still around today so mickey mouse bugs bunny tom and jerry those are all coming out of um these pre-feature film shorts uh that that movie theaters are showing and then Walt Disney staked his career on Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs in 1937, and it was very successful. And that's when you start to see uh, Disney kind of stake this this claim of feature length animation, and they dominate that field uh, for a lot of the history of Hollywood in the uh 80s you see some rival 2D animation studios uh like Don Bluth's uh works with Land Before Time or an American Tale Five Goes West uh that are uh competing at the box office and with critics um for that kind of acclaim but then the next big change in the Hollywood system for animation is 1995's Toy Story which is the first fully CGI um animated film and for a good decade or for the next 10 15 years you see cgi and traditional animation like coexisting um and you you'd have new traditionally animated films being released as well as new cgi films but for the last decade it's almost been exclusively cgi films and that seemed to be uh kind of the the point that that peter wanted us to to kind of look at is like now that traditionally animated films are, are fading from the American studio system. Is, is that a loss? Should we just embrace the CGI stuff? Or um, if it is a loss, what has been lost or should this something that be something that we're still going to engage with? Before we move on to that discussion, we want to thank you for downloading this episode and listening. We especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonists and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers and give updates on our fantasy box office. All patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. So now, Todd. What what do you think (laughs) traditional animation gives us that the more modern computer animation doesn't? And I don't want us to be like, Oh, one is solely better than the other. I think they give us different things and can tell, uh, they have different strengths for telling stories. Uh, so, so is there, are, are there things you can put your finger on as far as what is different about those?
0: Um, that's a really interesting question. Um, because in part because I wonder, um, well, like part of it has to do with what is the point? So um, I went today and watched the new Lion King, the live action Lion King film, the, the computer
1: animated Lion
0: King film, right which here. is which is not a live action film. It's just an astonishingly realistic three D animated simulation. film. Yeah, it's just a, it's a, it's a 3D animated film. It's, it's the, it's the great grandchild of Toy Story, basically. Um, it's incredible what they are, uh, what they have been able to accomplish w- with making 3D animation realistic. Um, and yet I couldn't help, uh, but in my mind, I haven't seen the original Lion King for, for quite some time, but, um. I mean, I'm I'm not spoiling this this film, but basically, have you have either of you seen the new Lion King?
1: No, no, but from what I read of (laughs) exactly,
0: it's exactly the the same film.
1: Yeah, it's it's the same movie.
0: It's the same movie. Uh, There's maybe like you know, there's one three minute scene with Nala escaping from Scar's you know lair or whatever uh and then th- there's this long sequence of the the simba's hair flying back to to pride rock <laughs> um that involves you know a giraffe eating it and pooping it out and a dung beetle rolling it around oh, the, so improving the, the original right yes <laughs> but other than that, it is essentially shot for shot line for line, the exact same film, and emotionally it's just. Kind of uh a lesser film, <laughs> and I was thinking, like, why? Why is this not resonating with me? I love The Lion King, and there's something about um seeing an actual, real, live lion talking that is kind of weird. Like, it <laughs>
1: it's uncanny valley uh, like, for you, right?
0: Yes, it's totally. It's sitting in the uncanny valley, and I'm like, wow. Oh, this is this just doesn't feel it it doesn't feel as real as it did when it was <laughs> when it was just hand drawn um and and there's something about the way that emotion is able to be conveyed with that uh, 2d animation and, and could that have been done in a in, in a different way with 3d animation yes like I, i'm i'm certain that uh in in the hands of uh, a different director um with or, a different agenda. Less, uh,
1: less interest in recreating like life looking warthogs and lions. Right. Like yes. that embraced a little more cartoony
2: feel to these creatures. Well, so one thing that immediately like is coming to my mind as you talk about this and like, I mean to extremely simplify the statements that you're making is more real means less connection to it. Right. You have less you know, your emotional connection to it is lessened because of its, you know, photorealism.
0: Yes, but I would say specifically because we're talking about talking animals. Yes.
2: And I think part of that goes into something that we've talked about with um, with not cartoon animation, but um, still cartoons and Scott McCloud's theories on identifying with illustrated characters and like Mm -hmm. we talked about with bone where you need a certain amount of abstraction away from reality to create a sense of relationship to you. And I don't identify very much with a real lion. I certainly identify more with a cartoon lion.
0: Sure. They can, because I can can
2: abstract my own, you know, self a little bit to get closer to cartoon lion.
0: Well, I mean, I like, I kind of had a crush on Nala when I was a kid, like, and she's a lion, but there's something in there's something that like I in was animation caught, version, in the in the two D animation version. Yes, in the hand drawn version, there's something uh, there's a connection that that is made with those characters. That when you're like actually looking at a real live warthog, it's like, oh, that thing's
2: that terrifying. thing doesn't look like it's going to be a cool friend.
0: <laughs> it's so <laughs> ugly, and it's not really cute in the way that uh, that Pumbaa is, and uh, so. So all of this is to say I think that if if the goal of three D animation is just to push the envelope as far as we can so that we can get to reality, then I'm like, I don't really see the point, except that you can do it cheaper, maybe, or you can just do stuff that you can do, right? Like Yeah. I mean it is it it's astounding to see that the little lion cubs like w- w- bouncing around and singing, I can't wait to be king and it, it, it looks like trained animals like it's it's amazing that that they've been able to accomplish what they did um
1: and well that production thing you just made a nod to that is not an insignificant part of this transition um i joked that you you almost can't go a month without a new cgi film being dropped onto american audiences at our box office uh and back in the day it would be one maybe two animated films per year uh, would be it because of the workload and the time commitment in order to make the traditionally animated films was, was so different now with CGI computers, uh, you know, or CGI rendering. Um, a lot of the time is, is telling the computer what you want to have done. And the computer's doing that in the background, as you're deciding what the next thing you're going to want it to be doing is, you know, how, yeah. how you know, how you, where you are going to want the camera, how you're going to want the characters to move. You make that decision. And then the computer's doing all the work and, um, there's a much different time commitment uh, for that versus uh, traditional animation. And that time commitment is constantly going to be lessening as we get more powerful computers that are able to do
2: all this faster. Well, yeah. and I, I think it's worth pointing out, like there's definitely a distinct difference between what you get with the Lion King and what you're getting with what you'd call 3d animation. Like the photorealism of the Lion King is not being typically categorized as an animated film. Yeah, that's true. not what you I mean, like are talking about. It like Pixar, it's a live right. action film. There's there's like one actual shot of actual, you know, anything in it. There, there's yeah. one shot in the whole thing. I, I they've said what it is, but I haven't looked at the articles because they're a clickbaity. But, um, you know, it's being presented as a live action undertaking or a CGI undertaking, and not as a 3D animation or a 2D sure. animation. So you know, we have kind of got three categories of animation now. And if, if the purpose of developing this very realistic, um, you know, lions that can look so real, if the purpose of that is making things safer for people and animals and, you know, integrating that into what is otherwise a live action film, that's a different goal than, yeah, we can make this all CGI. Yes. So there's, you know, uh, well, some and, different objectives.
1: And I'm talking about like cartooniness, like there's just a couple months ago, we had the secret life of pets, which is a CGI film, uh, that is not at all on the spectrum towards the lion King, um,
2: in how it yeah. representing animals. I think typically you, the term would be 3d animation is what people would call it instead of CGI. Cause I don't know if there's like technical differences between CGI and the type of computer generated, um, 3d animation you know if there are like official Mm -hmm. differences
0: between that i i I wonder if if it just has to do with um you know its it's style so cgi is the goal of cgi is to be as realistic Realistic. as possible
2: and 3d animation is cartooniness
0: sure um anyway and and my point wasn't to say you know three d animation is leading us down the, the road to the uncanny valley, and we're you know we're all gonna reject it at some point or it's 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 by definition you know it's necessarily leading to to poorer films. it was just a thought that I had when i was when I was watching that film mm-hmm. today, and I was thinking, you know what I really can see the benefit of <laughs> of uh having at least um, characters that look more cartoony when they're talking animals, uh, it works. It worked better uh, for me, um, and especially to like have the contrast because you have basically two identical films in uh, in f- as far as dialogue and music and even the shots are concerned. Uh, it's basically one film in you know drawn in two D and the other uh, with this three D CGI thing. And so, the, the, you know, there's a comparison to be made. Um, it, the other, I have like kind of two other thoughts. One is, um, it seems to me like uh, the the story that you're telling has to be good, you know? <laughs> so in some ways, I don't think that even a lot of people know, that, like if the, you go see Wreck-It Ralph, and you say, well, would Wreck It Ralph be way better if it was hand drawn than it, than it is, you know, three D animation? I don't know that audiences really care that much, um, as long as the story is good and the characters are interesting. Well, for, for that one specifically,
1: I think like you kind of want the CGI look because it's video game characters. Yeah. Like that is a yes. ma- a, a marriage. Yeah. And, of, and there's a particular um, depth. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, but there's a marriage of story to the the means of of. Telling the story that works extraordinarily well for Wreck-It Ralph,
0: and I would say the same thing. I would say the same thing with Toy Story. Also, there's something about seeing those toys uh, done rendered in in 3D like that. That um, it, like that was a uh, kind of a match made. <laughs> it's hard to find a, a better animated film, I think, than than, than Toy Story, um, and I feel like it works really well because they're shiny and plastic and um, that there's something about that, that I think works. Um, and then the, the third thought that I had kind of related to this, and then I'll just like take a step back is, um, I've been listening to some podcasts lately and, um, and doing some reading just on, um, kind of digital overload that seems to be happening. And I, I don't think that it's just like a fad. I really think that as a society, we might be realizing that everything digital is not necessarily better just because it's digital. And there, um, and there are pretty strong movements, I think, kind of back towards analog. And I wonder if we will see, uh, people thinking more, uh, um, more intentionally about the 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 medium that they use to tell a specific story and that I, I wonder if in the us we'll start to see people say you know what this movie this story that i want to tell uh, the best way to tell it is through hand drawn animation and uh or 2d animation and there's, clearly you can you can have a success in the box office with it um even if you can't produce them at the same rate as you can with the others so anyway those are a few thoughts that i have
1: yeah, I mean, uh, it seemed for a while in the US, the like stop motion or claymation, you know, I, any of that field was mm-hmm. largely gone. But uh, now we get Leica doing like every other year. I think there's a new Leica film uh, that that comes out and um, Henry Selleck still is doing. uh some periodically. So like, there's still some there that's happening. Uh, And I wonder if like you're saying, we may see like, not to the degree that we see with the the 3d animated films, uh, but a, a, some studios that do a return to the hand-drawn or 2d animation.
0: Well, I wonder if it's, if it's like with a lot of um, things where, we, uh, some new technology comes along and everybody says, Oh, well, that's going to be the, the death of, you know, whatever came before. So mm-hmm. TV comes along, radio comes along, and now the theater will be dead, or TV comes along and now the, th- now the theater is really dead. Uh, well, now we have movies. Uh, those are going to, that's going to be the end of theater. And it's like, it hasn't really been the end of theater. People don't go to the theater as often as they m- maybe did, uh, I don't know, hundred years ago, but it's not like nobody is writing plays anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, or nobody ever goes to the theater. It's cha- the market has changed, uh, and you know the amount of time that people spend in different activities will change over time. But uh, theater is still a powerful way to tell stories, and as long as it continues to be so, there will be people writing good plays, and there are people that will be willing to pay money uh, to go see them. And I wonder if... 2d animation is something like that where we'll see probably not the the volume of 2d animated films but the ones that come out will be really high quality and people will recognize that and they'll pay money to go and see them and we we won't see you know uh, 10 a year Mm -hmm. but we might see one or two a year and people will be able to recognize i mean you can you can see you don't have to be an artist to look at something done by miyazaki and go okay okay That looks great. Really? (laughs) It's really uh, amazing. And then have somebody uh, say, yeah, that was all drawn by hand. I mean, then Miyazaki's later stuff isn't all drawn by hand, but, but
2: yeah, um, but 2d, but you know, it has a certain style. I mean, yes. One thing that um, this is making me think of earlier today, I saw on Facebook um, there's a new movie coming out and I, I didn't really pay any attention to it except that it was like, Oh, this is a modern film, but it's filmed in black and white. You know sure. somebody's making a specific choice to present it in a specific way, even though they're using you know modern theaters to release it, and I'm sure they're using digital film recording and and all of that sort of stuff and so I could definitely see it you know there's going to be periodic times when somebody says, "No, I am making the choice to make this this specific way because this is how I want this story told and I think that yeah. goes with what you're saying, and you know, just like people make the choice to do a black and white film or even a silent film um, like, like the artist a few years ago. Yep. Um, You know, people are going to make choices about how they present things. Um, And, and they're going to have, you know, opportunities to do that because they can, you know, look at the history and build from the history. And there's going to be people who can craft it effectively, either because they learn historically, or, I mean, it's not like 2d animation or even hand-drawn animation is completely disappearing. It's, You know, gone from the theaters in a lot of cases, but, you know, Disney, for example, even though they're not making films with it, they're still making cartoons on their channels with Mm -hmm. it. You know, there's still tons of cartoons that are rendered in that 2D style. There's people who have to, you know, get on a piece of paper and draw some of these things to develop these characters and things like that. Um, So, I mean, there's definitely going to be an opportunity for this to occur when people make that decision. Uh just I don't know where to fit it in. I'm just gonna
1: drop it in right here. One of the my favorite bits of trivia that I've ever found out is that uh when when Don Bluth wanted to rival Disney, he had worked for Disney and he left and they did Rats of Nim and then American Tale and those like weren't weren't as big as Disney films, but but you know, were well received. And then his next salvo was going to be the Land Before Time. It had Spielberg as a producer. And it was Don Bluth animation. Uh, Disney, in order to try and counter this, in the year 1988, I believe it is, uh, when these came out, they released Disney released their animated film for that year on the exact same date as Land Before Time. There were two animated films that came out that year. That year, they both came out on November 18th. <laughs> 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 <Jeez>. <laughs> Jerks. Out of, out, of, out of petty rivalry. Uh Land Before Time made more money than Oliver and Company, if you remember the Disney animated film, Oliver and Company. This is pre Disney Renaissance. Uh but uh at the time it was it seemed like a power move by Disney to kind of say, We are the animation house, Don Bluth, don't don't even try. Uh and then it turned out that that Land Before Time uh made made I I think uh, like a third more money
2: than Oliver yeah, and Company, which they made most money. This might have been one of the things that spurred Disney on to the renaissance. Yes. Yeah. Don Bluth you know, uh, coming out of competition. I, I'm, I was like, okay, certain. actually he just beat us. So maybe we do need to change things up.
0: Beginning of the D- Disney renaissance. Is that, is that Lion King? Little Mermaid. No, it's oh, um, Little, Mermaid. Little Mermaid. Okay.
2: In is that ninety nineteen ninety? 1990? Oh, that's, that's 89. So Oliver and company okay. and land, land before time would have had to have been 88 88 yeah okay yeah and rescuers would have been a little bit before that and grace mouth uh-huh. yeah so um with little mermaid in in 89 um i mean they would have already been working on it but it probably but, but don bluth had already done to two really films. nail that down
1: yeah yeah, yeah um, don bluth had already done two films kind of announcing that he was going to be rival you know trying to do a rival uh animation
2: uh studio with disney and i mean From like a historical narrative perspective, his position kind of bears out. He left because of I mean, I don't know if creative differences is the right way to say it. But, um, you know, he had basically been shot down in in all of his efforts to put more effort um, into into animated films. Um, And when he left, he took a lot of disgruntled people who felt like they weren't able to make what they wanted at Disney and they started making what they wanted. and. Disney had to respond by making better films, which is when the Renaissance started. Yeah. But
1: uh, I'm circling back (laughs) now. (laughs) Sorry. I took us down that little tangent. Um, I think going forward for, if we do see a new wave, which I think it is a storytelling form that we should see another wave of. um, I, I I miss like there, there's a different uh, aesthetic response to 2d animation versus uh 3d animation uh that i get as as a member of the audience um but i think it's going to be what are the what are the choices of the stories being told like like which stories uh are a better fit for 2d animation versus the 3d animation and so like we acknowledge like rick and ralph that 100 should be all CGI, all 3d should look like a video game <laughs> and a lot of po- sure. points because of, of the story that it's, it's choosing to tell. Now, thanks to Disney's long history as the uh, main studio that was producing 2d animation. Um, like I, I just naturally associate fairy tale with <laughs> 2d animation. And then mm-hmm. that's the kind of story that should be told. But uh, like the, the modern stuff coming out of Japan maybe has some fairy tale quality Qualities to the storytelling, but it's certainly not exclusively fairy tales that are being told there. So, if we were to see another wave uh, or or periodic films that come out as 2D animation, what kind of stories would you expect those to be?
0: I think that I think you can do a lot of different things. So, this film, I, I, in preparation for today, I watched uh, three films. One is called Mary and the Witch's Flower. It's on Netflix. Um, and it's a total fairy tale. Um, it's drawn uh, kind of in a, a simpler style. Um,
2: maybe like softer and rounder.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah, softer and rounder, and um, and uh, it's the studio behind it is Studio Pon- Ponok Ponok, which is um, uh, I, I, my understanding is like a breakoff from. Studio Ghibli, Ghibli. right. Uh, And this is their first film and it's beautiful to look at. Um, The story itself is not super compelling. My, my kids were like, I kind of knew what was (laughs) going (laughs) to happen. Which is not the thing that I I normally think of when I think of like a a Ghibli film that where it's just kind of all over the place and you you have no idea what's going to happen next. But um, so there was that film and then uh, there's a film called uh, "A Silent Voice," which comes out of Kyoto Animation studio. Um, and it's just a regular kind of a drama about uh, a kid, some kids that are in high school, and uh, there's a girl that's deaf, and, um, and you know there's a kid that bullies her, and then later in life, they meet back up again, and it's just about their relationship but it's not uh, it's not a fantasy it's not a fairy tale um and it was hugely successful um and then your name uh is directed by makoto shinkai and uh and it made 361 million dollars at the box office um it's the highest grossing anime film of all time the highest grossing japanese film of all time uh bigger than spirited away um the fourth highest grossing film of all time in Japan.
2: It was a really big deal.
0: Yeah. And, uh, and it's uh, beautifully drawn and it, it kind of has some fantasy elements to it. It's about uh, um, this. I would say
2: Shinkai is, is kind of in like the magical realism. Territory.
0: Yeah. Like the world, world a,
2: is fairly real. And then there's some unusual stuff.
0: It's a teenage guy and a teenage girl. And they, um, they are like, switching their consciousness is switching bodies basically um but it, you know won a million prizes and it made you know, uh, many many millions of dollars and uh and if you go to walmart you can just pick it up <laughs> uh and and that was the other thing that i was going to say about 2d animation and these japanese films especially is that um you can, like there's a whole rack full of them at walmart and which means, you know, there's a, there's an audience for these, for these kinds of films. And it's another reason why I suspect that somebody in the U S at some point is going to go, you know what? Uh, we could do that. And I make
1: $400 million at the box office, but maybe we'll make a hundred.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, And the interesting thing about silent voice is, like I said, it's, it's not a fantasy film, but they're able to do uh, cool things with it. So this kid uh, that's the main character is just super depressed because he was a jerk to this girl when they were in sixth grade, um, this deaf girl, and he was like, cool. And then he was a bully. And he was really, really, really rude to this, this little deaf girl. And she eventually had to leave school and then he got suspended and then his life gets, um, all his friends leave him and he's alone. And at the beginning of the film, he's planning his own suicide because he, because his life is miserable. He's lonely and he doesn't have any friends because everybody hates him. And, uh, and when he looks around at people's faces at different points in the film, their faces are covered by these like X's. And <laughs> it sounds so weird. Um, but it totally works in the medium. Uh, and there are these, you know, these just these drawn X. It looks like somebody has gone like through the yearbook and just X'ed out everybody's face. Um and then in the end, when he has his, you know, kind of moment of redemption and is able to begin to connect with people as he, he'll connect with somebody and then the X will just fall off their face and it kind of flutters to the ground. Like you can imagine, you know, those like little paper, like origami or something. And this, this paper X falls off their face and flutters to the ground and then he can see their face again. And it just works so well in the medium. And again, it's not a fairy tale, um, But it's just a way that the creators have said, you know, we're drawing things. And so we can play a little bit fast and loose with reality and do something a little bit different. And it works. Um, It works really, really well. And uh, like I said, I think I like Silent Voice even better than Your Name. And Your Name is, you know, kind of interesting. but, uh, But Silent Voice, was I was just kind of blown away by it. It's really, really, really good. And as long as people are willing to make films in this way. Uh, I think people are going to watch them.
1: Andrew, you, uh, you, uh, you do the Disney animation minute essentials podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're very familiar with animated storytelling. Um, what would you foresee as a potential future for 2d animation?
2: I, I don't, I don't think it's going anywhere in Japan right now. Um, Shinkai in particular is, um much lauded and, and heralded as um a filmmaker there. I think he's gonna really get the the best animated film, Oscar, um, sometime in the next 10 years. He just really has to like nail the right story, but his animation is is phenomenal. Um so I think that there's definitely going to be discussion of it again sometime in the next 10 years when that happens um i think it's gonna be you know for a lot of people the first time they talk about it in a, in about 15 years um because i don't know i i haven't looked at like academy awards lists or anything like that but best animated film um is you know basically 3d animation at this point um you know there's not well, spirited ad-
0: away won it in when 2009 or 11 or something
2: Spirited Away must have been much earlier than that, I like 2001, I would think.
0: Uh, all right, uh, 2000. Uh, yeah, I bet it was 2005. 2005.
2: Yeah. Um. You know. But looking at maybe the last 2005 years, we're or all wrong. Or, oh, 2001.
0: I to 2001. Interesting. Okay.
2: Um. Well. Well done, Andrew. But um. You know the the main animation studios in the United States, which are the ones that are usually being recognized by the Academy. I mean, there's going to be other animation stuff. Um, loving Vincent was, was a few years ago. um, And that was all the, um, the the oil paintings.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, And so you're going to get unique things. I think it might turn out to be a little bit more like um, those specialty contenders. Um, And I think they're, they will be doing it. um, Because it's a, a very conscious story choice and they're trying to say something about the medium as well as the film itself. And I don't know if that's always going to work, but. We'll see a couple of them. I think people talk about it a good deal again within the next five to 10 years because of um, Shinkai in particular, um, I think, right. from Japan. Um, but, I mean, Studio Ghibli and, and the other studios are producing good things. So so maybe one of them, you know, really nails it first. One um, thing I'm wondering
1: is yeah. at present, Disney is doing their nostalgia tour with the live action or the 3D anime versions of their 2d classics, you know, Mm -hmm. when they've run their course on that, which is still going to (laughs) be several years, will there be like the next
2: nostalgia touchstone is just doing a fairy tale in 2d animation. That's sort of what they were doing with princess and the frog in 2009. I mean, for about 10 years, they had been doing 3d animation with things. I mean, not exclusively, um but Princess and the Frog was the last experiment and it was you know presented as you know feel the nostalgia, we're going back to a classic, we're doing a fairy but, tale. But there wasn't really a, like a generational style.
1: gap yet.
2: Like yeah, if, if they did that in
1: now. five to ten years, now it would really there'd be a generation gap of parents who say, like, oh, I grew up with these. <laughs> Let me show you uh mm-hmm. you know what this kind of film is. Like like um the and, and they still are doing you know, Tangled or Frozen are Disney animated films. They're just not 2D animated that are very much the kinds of stories they were telling during the Disney Renaissance
2: yeah. uh, with their I mean, animated at, films. And they've, they've shut down, um, you know, the 2D operations as far as films go. Yes, um, yeah. Yeah. Like there's, yeah, there's nothing in production the, at all. It's, it's, well, I don't think they have, um I mean, they would have to kickstart it. You know, they don't uh-huh. even have a mechanism for production of, of their 2d animation films right now. Um, But I, yeah, I do think that maybe in the next five to 10 years, they might try something. um, Especially if, um, you know, some attention gets brought up for 2d animation, traditional animation. Um, But I don't know what they would try or what the reception would be on that. So it'd be interesting to see um, what the objective is and, if, the, if they need to burn out some of this live-action remake um, pattern first. <laughs> you know I, I, I don't think it's on their 10-year plan up. now.
1: <laughs> I mean, they're going to run out of things to do as live-action at the, the pace they're putting them out.
0: There, it's going to be live-action Wreck-It Ralph and live-action Frozen <laughs> and live-action... <laughs> please, live-action Finding Nemo. They, they've got... As long as they keep making new... 3d animated films they can keep making live action versions of them but um i don't know (laughs) (laughs) Uh, another thought that i had that that um that may come into play is the role of streaming services like netflix Mm -hmm. um because there's way more uh just access to uh, to anime especially Uh, than there ever was before. I mean, when I was growing up, I don't, I wouldn't even have known where to go to find anything like this. And now, um, on Netflix, there's like an abundance of riches and, and on Amazon prime, but, um, I mean, I remember when was it like probably three or four or five years ago that everybody was watching, was it attack on Titan? Is that what it's called? Uh, Yeah. And that was, you know, like a lot of, I I would, you know, nerdy friends were wearing attack on Titan t-shirts and stuff. Like it was, I mean, it wasn't a
2: jacket with the logo on it.
0: It wasn't, everybody was watching it, but, but a lot of people watched it. And, um, and I think that, I, I mean, I wonder if we may see, more interest in the U.S. for these kinds of things because we have access to them uh, on Netflix where we wouldn't have otherwise. I'd be really surprised if nobody tries to to bring this back in the U.S. I don't know that we'll, uh, we'll ever see it on the, on the scale that maybe we did before. But I really think that um, it's not going to go away and that it, it will come to be uh, – I I can imagine a future where it comes to be seen kind of like what you were saying before, uh, Andrew about, or maybe it was Joe about, um, black and white films. Now that every once in a while, some are, uh, some director will go, you know what, let's make a film in black and white. And they do it and they do it for specific reasons and it looks great. And everybody says, Oh, this is beautiful. And you know, what a great thing that they've done. And it's not every film. Uh, but when it happens, people take notice and, uh, and and you know film like your name has shown that you can make quite a sum of money uh by doing it and so as long as that's the case people will do it
1: yeah the um like we do get these technological changes that when it happens in storytelling like what came before often starts to feel quaint i don't feel that with um with 2d animation or, or like, uh, it's like nothing will ever be done this way again. I don't feel that with the transition from 2d animation to 3d animation, the way like silent sound film. Okay. That's a pretty big line of demarcation. Uh, and yeah, the artist won best picture, whatever it was like a decade ago. And, but it was the first silent film in, you know, decades because no one made silent films anymore because why would they? Um, and we have one exception and that really proves the rule. I think that silent film was, was pretty much done. once sound was introduced. Right um it feels like from hollywood's point of view we've had that line of demarcation with uh 3d animated films and traditional animated films not immediately with toy story but within the last decade you know that we've kind of shifted away but as like a viewer i don't feel the difference that i think it would have felt to move from sound film back to silent film um when i when i go and rewatch. Uh, 2D animation or I watched the, like you know new Japanese animated films Um, I, I don't feel like oh this is a relic from a different era in any way Um, right. but somehow I think that's what Hollywood studios are kind of treating it as Um, and I would like that to change I'm not in charge of any <laughs> of the finances to be able to make that change or any of the business decisions to be able to make that change
0: well you have to think that financially it's way better to make a 3D oh, animated yeah. film than a <laughs> And I'm sure the profit margins is so different. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, in some ways I mean, it's interesting to think about what you're talking about here. So when the the transition from silent films to 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 talkies, it seems like that transition was made And when it happened, people were like, yes, this is, (laughs) this makes sense. Like, this is just, this is just the progress of the medium, right? Like if we could have done it five years earlier, we would have done it five years earlier because it's just better when you can hear their voices and they're talking at the same time. Um, Whereas I don't know that that's the case with 3d animation. I don't, I don't know. I mean, if you look at like a, like a Miyazaki film and put it up against Toy Story um I don't know that you would say well Toy Story is just just technologically better than the Miyazaki film it just looks better it just you know if we could have done if Miyazaki could have done Toy Story he would have it's like no he wouldn't have (laughs) because they're two different mediums they're two different ways of telling stories and they're both totally legitimate I don't know like uh, which is not to say that you know all sound films are or all silent films are way worse than all sound mm-hmm. films, yeah. But just the technology, it seems like it just wasn't there, and if it had been, people would have used it. But if you gave Miyazaki a a thing, a, a, a computer, he would have said, "No, I would rather draw."
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And um, so I think it's the production side is what's driving the change in Hollywood, not necessarily the audience uh interest um like obviously these 3d animated films are successful i wouldn't be shocked if a 2d animated film came out and was uh you know in the same ballpark of success uh if it had the same quality of storytelling that we see in a lot of these 3d animated films but the profit margins like you were saying must be so different that from the production side yeah uh the decision is is easy uh for them to make
0: yeah 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 it seems like it's a more like market driven than it is our artist driven. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it has more to do with just the bottom line than it does to to do with creativity. But, but again, I think that, um, that there's every reason to suspect that, that this could, that there's still a, there's still a place for this.
1: Yeah. And and it could be a way to stand out in the future. Like after we've had, 10, 20 years of almost entirely 3d animated films to get a 2d animated film would make it stand out in the marketplace. And maybe it's, gonna be a different profit margin than if it was a three D animated film, but if it's like a smaller studio that's trying to get noticed, a profit margin is good. <laughs> like, like any right. profit margin <laughs> would be good. Uh maybe maybe it's, you know, uh the the budget, you know, if it makes eighty million dollars and because of 2D animation, I'm just making up numbers here, but let's say their budget was uh $50 million to do it 2D animated instead of, you know, $20 million. Yeah, that's less money they just made, but they still were able to turn a profit. And maybe the fact that it stood out because it was 2D animation um you know got got them noticed in a way that if they had were just dropping another 3d animated film into the marketplace it may not have
0: i mean can you imagine even when we were growing up like going into walmart and seeing a whole rack full of foreign animated films no or like foreign (laughs) films in general like i kind of remember
1: knowing anime was a thing that the sci-fi channel played on saturdays a little bit, like that's kind of like all I knew. Sure, or <laughs> about, you know about what anime was.
0: What was the what was the tsunami? Nick Nick at night, whatever. Tsunami. Tsunami was yeah. on
2: Cartoon Network uh, in the late '90s and early 2000s, and that was a big introduction of anime to. I mean, pretty much everyone, you know, within ten years of my age on either side.
0: Yeah, but but really like these films are selling. Like people buy people buy them buy people well, buy them. and
1: um I mean you mentioned like streaming services making them available. There is isn't Crunchyroll an entire anime streaming service, Andrew? Yeah. You-
2: yeah, and there's also one um through Funimation, which is like the one of the main um well, I would consider them like the main distributor of um English language um anime. So so they do the um English language dub of the anime. Which is kind of a whole industry in and of itself is, you know, converting it into English language version.
0: Sure. And they're getting big name actors to do these, uh, the English dub of of Japanese films.
2: I mean, there's solid actors who have been doing it for 25 years, too. You know, there's people who their entire career has been, you know, voiceover from Japanese into English. Well, and even I mean, this is an interesting connection, and uh, I guess it's a little bit icky because
1: it's John Lasseter from Pixar, who <laughs> <laughs> didn't have the best best year with the Me Too movement. Uh, but he he like was pioneering the 3D animated films with Toy Story, and you know, became the head of Pixar and everything. But he was the one that got Disney to uh, distribute Miyazaki films in the United States. It was right. his push is what brought uh, you know so, some of the most beautiful Japanese uh traditional animation in, into into the american, uh you know the american entertainment sphere um was one of the pioneers of 3D animation saying no guys we cannot forget don't, uh, don't forget uh, about this you know how how beautiful this kind of storytelling is
0: yeah i mean i uh, if i was if i was like looking into the crystal ball i would say a way that this may play out is these japanese uh, these established studios, Kyoto and uh, Ponok and Ghibli and uh, and what's his name that did the... Shinkai. What's your name? Shinkai. Um, they're going to continue to produce what they're producing because they're making plenty of money in Japan. And those films will continue to grow in their audience in the U.S. as as you know, people see them on Netflix and they hear about them and they win some awards and you know, the, the, there's going to be another Academy Award for animated film. And, um, and then I, I would suspect that somebody in the U S is going to go, you know what? We should totally try that. And (laughs) it may bomb, uh, but it may not. And it, it will be, it will continue probably to be kind of a niche thing, but it will be, it, it, it will be like a comfortable niche, you know, it's not going to be always on the brink of extinction. I think it will always kind of be there and it will continue to evolve over time. And they'll continue to use, and we, we say 2d animation or hand-drawn animation, but all of these people are using uh, computers yeah. to some degree in what they're yeah. doing. Oh, yeah. Um, it's not like they have a pad of paper. I mean, even, uh, flipping even the pages be- in front of it. Uh,
1: was had computer animation in it, right? The, sure. In, what was that? Ninety. Andrew, do you remember the year?
2: Ninety-four. Seven ninety-four. Uh, Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, uh, should have been ninety-one. Ninety, a little earlier. Nineteen ninety yeah, or ninety-one. But I remember like uh,
1: seeing some, uh, like I think it was a VHS extra about <laughs> how the you know pre-DVD about how the ballroom scene was their first like integration yeah, um... of computer
2: animation into into their two D animation um little mermaid had some for rendering the bubbles i believe oh okay because um, otherwise it would have been so many millions of bubbles to hand draw <laughs> throughout the film and so i think that's the first um you know computer integrated um well not not the first first i think I, I mean even the great mouse detective i think some of the stuff in the clock um is being assisted by computer so they have like a certain period where it's computer assisted um animation and um and then you know really transitioning um, with some things like Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin has a, a well-known sequence that doesn't hold up especially well. Um, in
0: the in the, in, in the Cave of Wonder. Yeah. yeah, it's like
2: okay, this is rough to like watch.
0: <laughs> yep, I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about.
2: And so you have you know a number of things getting in there. You know, even into the '80s where they were getting some assistance from from computers. You know, um, and they were saying this is possible. And then you get '95 with Toy Story, where it's like okay, this is the whole thing.
0: Yeah. So anyway, that's kind of my, that, that's my forecast for this. I don't know if you guys, do you have any problems with that?
1: No, I I think that makes a lot (laughs) of sense. Um, I, I, who knows? I, I wouldn't be shocked to see again, like after the live action remakes nostalgia wave dies down that another, well, that Disney dips back into would be finding a way to return to some feature length 2d animated releases. Um, Disney, I don't know if you're aware of this as a company, but they market very well with nostalgia. That is one of their go to (laughs) um, -to techniques. Uh, And I think, uh, you know, as as popular as 3D animation is, I think we will see a wave of nostalgia for 2D animation within the American audience. I don't think it will ever replace 3D animation. I don't think we're going to see like a sea change switch of, you know, 10 traditionally animated films and only a couple. 2D animated films, but I think we will see a return of some 2D animated films uh, getting mm-hmm. wide release in the American box office.
0: I think so. I wonder if it. I remember when they did? Um, so they did the original Star Wars trilogy, and then they did the prequels, and they were like mm-hmm. almost all CGI. Yeah. And then when they when they made Force Awakens, it was like conscious choice. Like, wow, oh, we like, don't want to eco- go down that practical stuff. Right, we're gonna do more practical stuff. And it was one of the things that people pointed out about those films is that you can you can just kind of tell that it it feels more, I don't know, earthy or real or lived in or whatever. Uh because they because they you know built these giant models and it's it's not cost effective, uh, but it makes a better product and people like it. And I wonder if there will be a a push back in that direction where people will say, you know what? Uh, It costs us more to bring in these artists from wherever, but it just makes a film that looks awesome. And, (laughs) and maybe there is a nostalgia factor and they'll say, you know, we want it to look and feel, you know, more like those films that we watched when we were kids. And uh, I just, I think that there's a, there is a future for this. It's not, going to be exactly what it was in the past but um but i i think that there's reason to be hopeful
2: yeah
1: and I, I don't think it's uh it's trying to say that that mode of storytelling is superior to 3d animation it's just there's a different toolbox available to tell a different kind of story that is going to evoke different things in the audience
0: sure yeah
1: all right i think that is going to wrap up this episode thank you for joining us For show notes and links to all the other great dueling genre shows, you can go to duelinggenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to go check out episode number 243, when we did a discussion about storytelling in video games, or episode number 162, when we did a discussion about storytelling in fan fiction. You can reach out to us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com, or us on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod or at Jader and our producer andrew is at Disminute, and our facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast thanks again for listening and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story so long so long Oh, it's nice to have you respond to this so
2: long.